welcome home. There's always room for one more. Glad you're worshiping with us this morning. Thank you, praise team, for leading us before God's throne, before we dive into scripture. Happy Independence Day, 4th of July, coming up on Monday. Hope you got some good plans going on. You know, I've been reflecting a lot this summer as we celebrate Independence Day coming up on Monday. So today and this weekend, as our country celebrates our freedom, may we be compelled to love one another well. And also another thing, uh, you've heard Retake. If, and those of you that are diligently following our Retake podcast have noticed that it's been a little bit inconsistent for the past two weeks. I apologize about that, but I'm also really excited for our editor, Shane. Some of you know Shane Miosi. He got married last week, and it just didn't feel right in the week before leading up to uh, his wedding and on their honeymoon to be like, Shane, can you edit some podcasts for us? So if you're wondering where those episodes are, don't worry. We'll be releasing them in the coming weeks once he gets back from the honeymoon and uh, into into working order. So that was a lot of announcements. We're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning. We're under the series, Hello, My Name Is. We can put that up on the screen. And today we're going to be introduced to Jesus, the true vine. Jesus, the vine. So as you flip into John 15, uh, we're going to take some time to warm up this morning. In one word, how would you sum up following Jesus? Ten of you are typing, several of you have already responded. Following Jesus is love, it's understanding, it's adventure, journey, creative, faith, obedient. Wow, son of man. Challenging, I resonate with that one. Jesus is a companion. Following Jesus is hard. It means submission. It's rewarding. I really like that one. And it's refreshing. That's really cool. Lots of words coming in this morning. Commitment, revealing. Yeah, when you say you're going to follow Jesus, it reveals a lot about who you are and a lot about the people around you. That's for sure. It means you've got to be humble, creative. I like that. There's a lot of creativity, creativity in our following of Jesus. Thank you for that. That's a really cool word picture. Put your, put your hands together for yourselves. I'm proud of you this morning. Yeah. All right, next one up on the screen. I'm perfectly content with nothing to do. I'm perfectly content with nothing to do. I heard an audible yes. Teach me your ways. <laughs> Teach me your ways. I'm perfectly content with nothing to do. 63% of us this morning say no. 21% of us say yes. And 20% say maybe. I guess it depends on the nothing. I don't know. Depends on what that nothing is. Yeah. The majority of us in the culture that we live in today are, are just frustrated. You know, there was times in our lives when it was okay to be bored. Like we didn't have a, a phone or a computer to do anything. Now, if we don't have anything to do, it must mean that there is something wrong, right? Well, to the 20% of us this morning that have figured it out, we lodge you. Thank you for following in the ways of Paul that he's content in everything that he does. We'll put the next one up on the screen. If it looks like a duck and walk like a duck, walks like a duck, it must be a duck. I took a walk around the duck pond yesterday morning and there are some feisty ducks over there. A walk around the duck pond is not for the faint of heart. Not for the faint of heart. 46% of us say yes, 34% of us say maybe, and 20% say no. Yeah, uh, sometimes it kind of depends, right? Maybe our outward appearance doesn't always reflect what's in our heart. Ouch. We'll talk about that other one this morning. Two more for you. Fourth one on the screen. Service for Jesus and devotion to Jesus are synonymous. Service for Jesus and devotion to Jesus are synonymous. 
We'll let this one climb up for a little bit more. Service for Jesus and devotion to Jesus are synonymous. About half of us this morning are saying yes. 43% of us are saying no, and 7% of us are saying maybe. Those of you that are answering maybe consistently this morning, you're on to something. You're on to something this morning. We're going to explore this one because on first blush, service for Jesus can look a lot like devotion to Jesus, but that is not always necessarily the case. We're going to explore that one this morning. And last one on the screen, they're putting the cloak of darkness over the screen so we don't see them figuring it out in the background. And then it's just going to appear. Check it out. There it is. Following Jesus is simpler than it seems. Following Jesus is simpler than it seems. What do you think? 70% of us are saying yes, 21% saying no, and 12% saying maybe. Yeah, the maybe crew hanging in today. Following Jesus is simpler than it seems. The text that we're going to look at this morning unequivocally says yes, following Jesus is simpler than it seems. That's what we're going to explore this morning. So without further ado, let's dive into scripture. John chapter 15 we're going to begin there, so if you got your Bibles, turn towards that particular part of Scripture, and we'll put the Scripture up on the screen. And before we read, I'm going to invite God's presence once again to be with us. Lord God, our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to get to know you again today. God, would you introduce or reintroduce yourself again to us? God, may you sit down beside us and may we make space for you to whisper into our ear that you are the true vine. God, we leave that in your hands. Look forward to seeing you soon and we're excited for what you've got in scripture today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John chapter 15, we're actually gonna begin in John chapter 14. I think I've got it there, back one. Jesus says, come, let's be going. He's with his disciples. They've just experienced the upper room and he's sharing with them their last, his last words before he heads to the cross. And the time has come for them to move from the upper room towards the garden of Gethsemane. And imagine this group of disciples, Jesus plus the 12, Judas had left already. There were likely some women with them. Jesus says, come, let's be going. And he begins to lead them toward the Mount of olives. And imagine in your mind's eye along the way, they pass a vineyard. And Jesus begins in only the way Jesus can to use what is around him to communicate a truth for his disciples. John 15 verse 1 says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. So Jesus uses this vineyard for his disciples to describe what a relationship with him is like. And he likens himself to the vine. He says, I am the true vine. In the same way that Jesus says that he's the the good shepherd or the light of the world, he's wanting to make distinction here. He's not just a vine or some kind of mediocre vine that if you connect yourself to it, everything's going to be good. He says, no, no, no. If you were to think of a true vine, the one that is producing branches that then in turn produce fruit, that's the vine that I am. And his disciples being good 
Jews that they were would have picked up on the imagery that Jesus was sharing for them because all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit as they're articulating the gospel use the imagery of a vineyard to talk about God's people. And it's often Israel is talked about as a vineyard and God says, you're, you're my vineyard, this is the one that I produced. It comes to us in Psalms uh, chapter 80, verse seven, or we'll read seven through 15. Put it up on the screen for you here. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Verse eight, you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. Talking about their exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. That's the promised land. That's Canaan. And verse nine, you cleared the ground for us and we took root and filled the land. Verse 10. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. Israel prospered in the promised land. In verse 11, we spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. Verse 12, but now why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass by may steal our fruit? Verse 13, the wild boar from the forest devours it. The wild animals feed on it. Verse 14, come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself planted. This son you have raised for yourself. It's with this picture in mind that the disciples would have drank in Jesus' words. Israel was supposed to be the true grapevine. And Jesus stands before his disciples pointing towards a vineyard and says, I am the true vine. God had established Israel to be the source of life for all the other nations that the world would come to know who God is because of Israel. But they had fallen short time and time again. They were cut off and they had cut off the rest of the world from God. And it's this image that Jesus uses to say, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of the prophecy. I'm the fulfillment of the, the, the image. What Israel has fallen short before, I have now come to provide. And we pick it back up in John 15, verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. He's, he's telling his disciples, he says, don't, don't, don't worry, guys. Like, yeah, the the gardener's gonna come through and he's gonna cut some branches off, but don't worry, I'm not talking about you. You've been with me for the past three and a half years. You are all right. And verse four, perhaps Jesus' thesis for this entire section of scripture, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Other translations will use the word abide. The Greek word here for abide or remain is meno, and not meno, but meno. And it's an outward, it's an inward enduring of a personal communion. It is being. It is being in the presence of someone else and abiding. It's not just living, it's not just thriving, it's abiding, being in the space in the presence of someone else. Now, out of a lot of things in scripture, I, I struggle with this principle of abiding. 
See, I've got the personality that I don't, uh, I don't work to live. I, I live to work. I really enjoy what I'm doing. Type three on the Enneagram, if any of you are uh, Enneagram fanatics. Uh, I really enjoy what I do. I get fulfillment out of the things I put my hands towards. And so abiding, when Jesus invites me to abide, that's like pulling the emergency brake on your car when you're going 70 miles down the road. It's like, whoa, this feels extremely different, something that I'm not used to. Now, someone who has perfected abiding, if I do say so myself, is my wife. She is the essence of abiding. She can just be and just sit and enjoy scenery or comfort company and, and not get an itch to do anything. It's just, it's amazing. How can she just be in a place and just abide in that experience? And she'll often, and when I say often, I mean often, she'll say, hey, why don't you come sit with me for a little bit? And I'm like, ah, oh, I've got this, but I've got this. She's like, no, 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 come sit with me for a little bit. And I'd like to say that I take her up on that invitation 100% of the time. But if I said that, then I'd be lying. Yeah, some of you resonate with that. But every time I accept her invitation to just be in her presence, stress level drops. Everything is okay. And she teaches me about Jesus' character every time she invites me to just be. If you're wondering if this particular passage applies to you, whether you need to slow down your life just a little bit, I encourage you to try this on yourself. When was the last time you just stopped? Like you didn't, you didn't do anything. Like there wasn't a phone in front of you or a TV screen or you had to run to this or run to that. You just didn't do anything. When was the last time that that happened for you? And if you can't recall it, then it's maybe time for you to try it again, just maybe. And here's the other thing. If a simple cessation of activity puts you to sleep, I know that happens to me. Like if I stop doing stuff, 10 minutes and I'm gone, right? Maybe it's just me. I heard one, one chuckle there. If a simple cessation of activity puts you to sleep, you may be doing too much in your life. Think about that one for a moment. In a world of do, Jesus' invitation in this scripture is to come be. Our world revolves around doing. Do this, do that, go, 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 go. The world is accessible at our fingertips. And Jesus' invitation to the disciples is to be like a branch to a vine to be connected to Jesus and let his life source take care of you to abide, to have an inward enduring of personal communion. One of the ways that this became really real for me this past year when we had the chance to travel to the beautiful island country of Palau. There's a lake on one of those islands that's a, it's a kind of a brackish water. There's a little bit of fresh water, a little bit of salt water. And in this particular lake are millions, if not billions, of jellyfish. It's one of the most beautiful, pristine places in the entire world. And the awesome thing about these jellyfish, if you ever think about jellyfish, if you go to the East Coast or the West Coast, you want to avoid jellyfish, right? You get raked across with the tentacles or whatever dangly things come behind them, and you are in pain for a while. These jellyfish have no natural predators in their ecosystem. And so they're harmless to the touch. You can... You can 
Just play with them. You can swim through them. Have no worries about it. And I was out there in the middle of the lake, my wife and I, plus the other people that were traveling with us. And we get out to the middle of the lake, and this guy, Steve, who's with us, fantastic, wonderful guy who just understands what it means to abide in Jesus. And he, he turns to me, and he kind of pops his snorkel off and, and his mask, and he's like, isn't this beautiful? I said, yeah, of course. And I'm thinking he's talking about the the tropical trees that are around this lake and the beautiful crystal clear water and the jellyfish. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Isn't this beautiful? The only purpose these jellyfish have is to exist. They don't do anything other than kind of eat some stuff in the water and kind of go, loop, 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 loop. And I ducked my head underneath the water again, and I looked at the jellyfish underneath me. And I felt in that moment the Spirit of God coming close, and Jesus whispering into my ears, abide in me. That no matter what happens in the the world around you, no matter what decisions are made on Capitol Hill or any other authority that is in your life, that you can abide in Jesus. That there could be a storm raging overhead and you, the little jellyfish that's got no natural predators, are just bloop, 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 bloop. And you can exist and be in Jesus. The Andrews Bible Commentary puts it this way, page uh, 1,454, where I didn't read 1,453 to get there. I just went to where John was. Uh, We'll put that up on the screen. Do we have that one? The strength of the branches depends on their vital union with the vine. The reason that we are able to abide is because Jesus has the strength and the power to help us live. And Jesus will continue in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, yes, I am the vine. In case you were confused at all, who was the vine was in this passage? Jesus says, yes, I am the vine. I don't want you to miss this. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Jesus, quite frankly, is not interested in maintaining appearances. He says, if any branch is not connected to the vine. Yeah, we may let it sit there for a while, but the gardener is coming back and he's gonna be pruning. Not only is he gonna be pruning the dead branches, but he's gonna be pruning the ones that are alive as well. Because pruning a tree or a vine helps it to flourish and grow. And though it might be painful in the moment, greater fruit will be produced over its lifetime. And see, there's a temptation here. That we could be like a stick or a branch that's either leaned up against the vine and we can look as if we are connected to the vine. We can have all of the appearances. We can look like it, but we're not bearing fruit. And God says, when you do that, I'm going to cut that branch out because it's not living up to its purpose. And I don't know why we do this sometimes because... Nothing in life is worth spending time doing if you're just going to do it halfway. Why the pretense? Like, why fake it till you make it, right? Why are you investing so much in an outward appearance when the heart is wasting away? You see, union doesn't guarantee communion. 
put that up on the screen for you. Union doesn't guarantee communion. Think about it this way. A husband and wife will stand on this stage or over in the chapel and they'll proclaim their love to one another and they will say, I do. And we will recognize as a community what? Their union, holy matrimony. But just because you've said, I do, does not mean that you are in deep relationship with another. You're just simply roommates. But to have a close Knit relationship means that you must spend time with the person that you are in union with. And over time, that union will be transformed into communion. That you're abiding with one another. And that same relationship that we can see born out in marriage, Jesus offers to us, him being the vine and us the branch. He wants to have real communion with us. Andrew's Bible commentary continues. Same page, real Christian life exists only when there is an intimate, unbroken relationship with Jesus. Faith and obedience are not the natural result of human effort. The way you grow with Jesus is being connected with Jesus and letting everything else fall into place. You can go out in this parking lot, you can do 100 push-ups, you can do 100 sit-ups, 100 jumping jacks, whatever it might be. You'll become a little bit more of a fit person but none of that will get you a closer relationship with Jesus or merit you salvation. The only way is through an intimate, unbroken relationship with Jesus. Faith and obedience are not the natural result of human effort. They are gifts from God. Oswald Chambers, a wonderful, amazing devotional writer, puts it this way. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. See, I can get so busy looking like I'm a branch, looking like I'm a Christian, that I'm involved in this community. I can be so busy doing all of the Christian things that I never get to meet or have a relationship with the person who I claim to be connected to. Union in the body of Christ does not mean communion with Christ. It's a step towards it for sure. Don't worry. You being here this morning, a part of this community, your devotional, all, all that kind of stuff, service, everything that we do, fantastic. But don't let service for Jesus replace Jesus himself. We can make an idol out of our good deeds and forget that we are here to serve and love and be in relationship with Jesus. Jesus continues, John 15, verse 8. It says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. So we've talked about abiding. We've talked about just being. Remember the jellyfish? Bloop, bloop. Bloop, bloop. That's all you got to do. If you take away from today, this is what being a Christian is. Bloop, bloop. Bloop, bloop. Just abiding. Just being with Jesus. But it's not enough to just be with Jesus. Being with Jesus should produce something inside of us. It says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Our connection to Jesus invariably propels us to express his love to others. If your relationship with Jesus is not producing fruit, then perhaps you need to reevaluate your relationship with Jesus and you might have a relationship with something else. By becoming fruit bearers, we show ourselves to be authentic disciples. 
I came across a, a blog post this week. Uh, there's a Facebook page for Adventist professional ministers um, that is interesting at times. There's some good stuff in there too. And someone shared this uh, repost from a, from a Reddit. And this person is talking about a relationship that they have with their neighbors. And I want to read for you what they have to say. It says, my neighbors witness to me constantly. We could pause right there. Some of us are like, the glow tracks are coming. The literature being left anywhere. Like, what's going on? Here's what they say. They never proselytize me. They've never discussed theology with me. They don't even speak the same language as me. They've never given me a tract or invited my kids to VBS, but they share food with me. Amazing carne asada, usually. They invite me to family parties as an outsider to their culture. They help fix my car. They watch my kids when I have to work. Single dad here. They never complained about junk in my yard, never impatient with, uh, when I leave the trash bins out. They just take them back for me. They've never been rude in any way. They witness with the fruits of the Spirit, and I feel truly blessed. They never told me where they go to church. I can guess, but they must be doing something right there. Imagine if your neighbor could write that message about you that you're witnessing constantly to them, not because you're knocking on the, their, the door and saying, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Which might work, yes. But sometimes it's a turnoff for our culture because what used to be authority is no longer authority. Our country was built on principles founded in this book. Decisions were made based on what we find here, but now people pass off the Bible as just some other good writing, maybe if it's good. Our world could be transformed by the fruit that is born in our life through a flourishing relationship with Jesus. What if we're more loving, more joyous, more kind, more compassionate, more faithful? I think our world would look like a different place. And Jesus continues, John 15, verses 9 through 11. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. We get a little clearer picture of what Jesus is articulating to his disciples. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, here's the thing about relationship with God. It's the same one that's modeled by Jesus. So Jesus is loved by the Father, and then in turn, Jesus loves us, and then we abide in his love, and that in turn will propel us to love one another. We are connected to an abiding relationship. Every branch vitally connected to the true vine will know great joy because they find fulfillment in that relationship. If we're doing the things that we're doing right now, following Jesus, claiming Christianity, and it's not bringing us true joy, what are we really doing? Might be holding up the Adventist mindset, but are we truly living in the joy of being reborn, being a follower of Jesus and having his love transform our hearts? John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And that's Jesus' invitation to us today. The one commandment says, You'll, the world will know that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. What would it look like if we were more gracious, more compassionate, more loving to the people around us? True grace 
is never idle. When we've experienced the love of the Father, when we've experienced grace from the throne of God, that should do something in our heart that changes how we relate to the people around us. True grace, true love is is never idle. Because what it wants to do, a transformed heart, what it wants to do is to help others access the transformation of Jesus. I'll finish with... uh, with this story, uh, an interesting one found in the book, Conversations with People Who Hate Me by Dylan Marin. This person who picked on his internet trolls and said, hey, let's have a conversation together and figure out where the hate is coming from. And he tells of this story. He's living in an apartment complex in, uh, in New York City. And he talks about seeing uh, somebody moving into the complex and then several days after, just there's piles of recycling at the spot that the recycling is supposed to go, but not packaged in the way that it's supposed to be packaged. The rules in his neighborhood were very, very strict. Recycling must be in this way, boxes put together in bags and and whatever it is. And he recounts in his book being frustrated by all of the trash that's just kind of left out. And he spends a couple of days and he'll go and he'll, he'll pick it up and he'll put it in the right thing and it just keeps happening over and over again. And the first instinct he has, he says, man, I wanna write a note and tell this person how dumb they are because they can't figure out the rules and they should do it right because this is my community too. And just as he takes the sheet of paper and and he's about to write that note, something inside of him stirs and he says, hold on. I've been doing a whole lot of work around empathy and talking with people that hate me. How would I have appreciated someone approaching me about this recycling issue? And then he begins to pen the word something to the effect of, hey, welcome to the community. The recycling ordinances around here are really ridiculous. Uh, I struggled with them too at first. Uh, I helped you out the first time and here's some of the things that have helped me in making sure our recycling gets picked up. And he takes that note and then places it on the, the door of the perpetuator. And a couple days pass, recycling's picked up, it goes back out again and as he's bringing his bin back in, he notices that there's a, a note stuck on the door of the person. They say, we had no idea. Thank you so much for letting us know we're gonna do better next time. What happens in our lives when we're quick to judge another person and just go off on them because they've not acted in the right way, they voted a different way that we do, they're disagreeing with us on, on, on a major decision, whatever it might be. What would happen if our world acted in a little bit more love? And I think the key to that is for us to abide in Jesus. Be connected to the vine. Let the vine transform our hearts. And I love how John Mark Comer puts it, in the, puts it this way in his work, um, Practicing the Way. He says, Christianity is simple. It's be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then do what Jesus did. So often we frustrate ourselves in the realm of doing what Jesus did without doing the work of being with Jesus. As we are with Jesus, we will become more like him and then do what Jesus did. Ellen White puts it this way in the book, Ministry of Healing, page 470. I've got a longer section and the last part's going to come up on the screen for you. The badge of Christianity is not an outward sign, not the wearing of a cross or a crown, but it is that which reveals the union of man with God. By the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character, the world is to be convinced that God has sent his son as its redeemer. 
No other influence can surround the human soul has so much power as the influence of an unselfish life. And then this line, the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Are we loving and lovable? We can claim to be loving. Perhaps we can appear to be that way on the outside. But the strongest argument in favor of the gospel someone who's loving and is lovable. So the invitation for you today, as we've been introduced or reintroduced to Jesus as the vine, I encourage you to connect with Jesus, to abide with Jesus, to be with Jesus. And let that be your goal for the next six months or year, to simply be with Jesus. And in that process, you will become more like Jesus And then you'll begin to do what Jesus did. God, our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus, the true vine. In this world, we're tempted to go, 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 and do, do, do. But God, I pray that we back off and we be. That we live up to our full potential and just being in your presence. And may our being in relationship with you be enough. And may everything else in our life flow from that. May our character be transformed by interactions with Jesus. And may our actions proceed from a character restored and renewed that others may know us individually and collectively as loving and lovable. God, walk with us. Connect us to the vine. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you.